So I'm reading the scripture uh, as Exodus. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performs the sins before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to the Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go, so that, my, so that they may hold a festive to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrew has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer the sacrifice to the Lord, our God. Or he may strike us with the plague or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking, why are you taking to people, people away from their labors? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now enormous and you are stopping them from working. That the same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slaves, drivers, and overseers in charge of people. You are no longer to supply the people with the straw for making the bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. There is, that is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the world harder, make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slaves, drivers, and the overseers went out and said to people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw, and go get your own straw wherever you can find, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt and to gather, to gather stubbles and to use for straw. The slave driver kept praising them and say, complete the work required you for each day, just as when you had straw. And the Pharaoh's slave driver beat the Israelite overseas, overseers they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you made your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servant are given no straw, Eight, we were told, make bricks, your servant are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are lazy. This is why you keep saying, let us now get to work and you will not give any straw. Eight, you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his official and have put sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on these people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on these people, and you haven't rescued our people at all. This is the word of Lord. Thanks to be to God. Good afternoon. Let's pray.
Lord, those are very challenging words that we've read. Challenging to your people in the past and challenging to us today. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak a challenging word to us this afternoon, but also a comforting word. That we would know what it is to be in your presence just for this short time. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, uh, many of us are experiencing some anxiety about our church. Whether it's COVID and doubts about gathering again for worship, or uncertainties about the future of the church. So this afternoon, I want to say something about this season of profound change that we find ourselves in as a church. And where better to turn in the Bible as we do so than to the book of Exodus. Exodus is all about change. In fact, because we're in a season of so much uncertainty, so much change as a church, I have to tell you it was tremendously tempting for me to preach a whole series from the book of Exodus. But I'm going to resist that temptation because I think the Lord has led us to the book of Acts and what it means to be the church on mission uh, over this next season. But just for a few minutes this afternoon, I want to draw some warnings and encouragements from Exodus that seem particularly pertinent to our situation as we think about beginning or or rather continuing our time as a church without a home. The book of Exodus is all about change. At the beginning of the book, the people of God are slaves. They're an immigrant minority, and they're experiencing profound social exclusion. By the end of the book, or at least the end of the book of Deuteronomy, they are a new people, living in a new way, in a new location, worshipping in new ways, under a new law, and with a new leader. Every fundamental of the life of the people of Israel has been transformed. Now, we may be feeling all kinds of anxieties about the changes taking place in the life of our church, but they're nothing to the changes that took place for the people of God under Moses. Every chapter in the book of Exodus has something to say to us about change. The necessity of change, the process of change, leading people through change, different responses to change, how we understand change, celebrate change. But in the case of the chapter that we've just read, the cost of change. And just look at what happens in this chapter. The people of God, as represented by the elders of Israel, offer their opinion on the change that God is bringing about. And they do so twice. First, at the end of chapter 4, we read from verse 29, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. 
He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Then Moses and Aaron actually initiate this change by going to the Pharaoh. And the writer of the book of Exodus tells us at the end of chapter 5, verse 19, the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. There it is. The cost of change. Pharaoh, of course, is opposed to this idea of a three-day trek into the wilderness to worship. And he has good grounds for caution. He may not know it yet, but he's only being told half the story, right? Yes, the Israelites are going into the desert to worship, but after the three days, they're not coming back. Now, it's always the case with any kind of substantial change that there are legitimate grounds to reject it. There'll always be that voice of reason saying, we can't do that, or we shouldn't do that, and they'll have good reasons for saying so. Pharaoh's reasons, of course, are not so good. For him, it will wreck the slave labor market in his country. But the problem here is not really Pharaoh. And that's why I particularly wanted us to read this chapter of Exodus. The problem here is the leaders of the Israelites who worship at the good news of their deliverance, but who curse Moses in the Lord's name when they realize that it's going to be costly. The problem is that they haven't counted the cost of change. They like the sound of God's concern for them. And they like the idea of freedom from slavery. But paying the price to get from where they were to where God wanted them to be, that hasn't been factored in. Well, Moses takes the complaints of his fellow countrymen to the Lord. And so we read in Exodus chapter 5 and verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. 
I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I've remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. It's interesting that the Lord's response is not to chastise the people for their lack of faith or their unwillingness to pay the cost of change. Instead, he paints a picture of the new life that he's calling them to. He begins with his identity, I am the Lord, and actually he ends with that as well. God's purposes, you see, they are always rooted in his character. What he does and what he wants us as his people to do always reflect who he is and always help us to know more of him. The Lord then moves on to his promises of the past. I have remembered my covenant to demonstrate his faithfulness. And then he promises salvation, rescue from slavery. I will free you from being slaves, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a mighty acts of judgment. But then the Lord goes further, and he promises the Israelites a new vision of the future. First, in terms of a renewal of their identity, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Now, they're already, of course, God's people. But this renewal of identity will put them into a deeper consciousness of relationship with him. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And then finally, the Lord promises them a, a new pattern of life. I'll bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I'll give it to you as a possession. And yet, despite all of these promises from God, the people are still unwilling to pay the cost. Verse 9, immediately following the piece that I just read to you, verse 9 reads, Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Change always comes with these costs. But in the case of the Israelites, and in our own case, paying a price can be a good thing, as well as a challenging thing. See, it makes us serious about God's purpose. It makes us serious about our purpose. It makes us aware of our dependence, our dependence on God. It challenges us to faith when the going gets tougher than we expected. 
if we let it. It can make us into disciples. Think about the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 14. Large crowds were traveling with him, and he he turned to them and he said, don't miss this, I don't think you will. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Did he catch that last bit? In the same way as counting the cost of building a tower, in the same way as counting the cost of going to war, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. Can Jesus possibly mean his words to be as strong as they seem to be? See, as much as we may dislike change, change is actually at the heart of what it means to be the people of God. Change is at the heart of the church because it's at the heart of the gospel. Jesus' call to repent is literally a call to turn around, to change direction. And Paul tells us that when we do this, we are changed into a new creature. Sanctification is change. The inbreaking of the kingdom of God is change. Any engagement in evangelism or social action, however small, is an attempt to bring change. The church is a community of change. It seeks the ongoing transformation of its members, and it seeks to be a transformational presence in the world. But of course, to do so, it must itself embrace its own need for change. And to do that, we must be willing, not just to count the cost, but to pay the cost that the Lord is calling us to pay if we're going to allow him to make the changes in us and through us that he wants to make. Now, the greatest truth that I know about change is this. All change is experienced as loss. See, the very best and most wonderful changes that take place in our lives mean that we have to let go of things that being the way they were. Just ask the parents of a toddler. Wonderful change still means change. And because change, even good change, is experienced as loss, we are always tempted to resist it. Now, friends, I want to acknowledge that we as a church are experiencing a a pretty profound period of instability. 
If my email inbox is anything to go by, there are people in our church community with a whole variety of different concerns, worries, anxieties. Some have doubts and fears about COVID and about meeting together again. Others have concerns about the, the future of this or that aspect of the church's life or even the future of the church as a whole. And it's not an exaggeration to say that we find ourselves in a very precarious position one way and another with a huge amount of uncertainty ahead of us. So it's entirely understandable to me if you're feeling as if you wish things would just go back to the way they used to be. In recent weeks, I've heard uh, two different denominational leaders say, the greatest hope for lots of church leaders is that they get back into their buildings and that everything goes back to normal. Well, friends, God has given us a gift. There's no going back into the building for us. For us, the cost of change is going to keep coming for some time yet. And the question is, what is our response going to be? And the people of Israel present us with a, a stark warning in this regard. In due course, they were freed from slavery in Egypt. In fact, of course, they left with a great deal of plunder. God brought them safely through the miracle of the Red Sea, saved them from the pursuing Egyptian army. And yet, only a few weeks later, what do we find? In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Talk about rose-tinted glasses. What was the reality? The reality was that they were being made to make bricks without straw. We sat around pots of meat and had all the food that we wanted. And then in the very next chapter, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? And Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. My cost of change keeps coming we easily get all nostalgic for the past forgetting the realities of the problems that the lord was releasing us from and forgetting the fact that he our lord called us to a new place friends members of first baptist church this is a moment for us to take stock to ask what we believe God is doing among us, and to count the cost. 
Now, all of this talk of change can itself produce some anxiety. I'm aware of that. And I'm aware, too, that this is already a time of anxiety for many people. And that's for two reasons in particular. Firstly, COVID. People are concerned about what's going to happen over the coming months with this Delta variant. And they're anxious about gathering for worship. In many cases, not least because we haven't been with many people for many, many months now. So let me just say to you that throughout the pandemic, we've made a priority of caring for one another as a church, and particularly caring for the most vulnerable among us. Our guiding principle in all of this has been Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Those have been the guiding words for the church over these last 18 months. And while we don't yet know what the guidance or restrictions are going to be when we begin meeting at St. Andrews, what I can promise you is that we'll continue to live by this loving principle. The other cause for concern for some is the future of the church, and particularly, I would suppose, the massive building project that we're in the midst of. You may, in fact, have been thinking that all of this talk about change is about the construction work, since that's what's enforcing our wanderings. But I want to assure you that I'm not really talking about the building project this afternoon. See, it doesn't matter whether we have a huge building or a small one. God isn't building a building. He is building his church, and that's us. It is we who are his temple, not the concrete and steel on the corner of Barad and Nelson. We are the living stones from which he is building his church. What God has been doing these past two years and what he's going to continue to do these next two years is to change us, our ways of following him, our ways of caring for one another, our ways of loving our neighbors. Just as there are construction workers right now strengthening the foundations of our building, so I believe that the Lord is strengthening the foundations of our fellowship, renewing our foundations for what he wants to do in the coming years. And what is he doing among us now? Well, he's bringing freedom to us, release from old forms that served believers, the church, and the world well in the past, but which are no longer what the Spirit is doing. He's disrupting patterns he no longer wants anymore. The Holy Spirit is shaking things that we are holding on to. Some things are being dismantled, some things are being diminished, others created, others renewed. Now, for the people of Israel, there was essential continuity between 
who they were in Egypt and who they became in the promised land. But a lot of elements of their communal life were changed. From a slave people, they restructured themselves into 12 tribes. From a nomadic people for 40 years in the wilderness, they became a settled people living in towns. From laborers, they became farmers and soldiers and priests. Their economy, their ways of relating, their position in the world, all of these things were transformed. And this is marked by the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. The law was for a new stage in the life of the people of God. The law only makes sense for a settled people. Most of it concerns how to love God and love your neighbor. And in Egypt, of course, they didn't have any say what their relationship was with others. They were under Egyptian law. And in the wilderness, they didn't have fixed neighbors. The law marks out for them a new stage in their life together as God's people, witnessing by the way that they related to one another, to the living God they served as a light to the nations. Now, we may not be experiencing anything uh, quite as dramatic, but the ways that the Lord transformed his people then have a lot to teach us about the ways the Lord always uses to transform his people, including our church today. These past two years and the two years that are ahead of us They're going to feel at times like walking in the wilderness. Experiencing God pruning us and shaping us. We are not going back where we came from. Even though we'll have the same address. The Lord is changing our structures. He's changing how we relate to one another how we relate to other churches and organizations that we partner with, how we engage in mission, how we use our money. At the same time, we mustn't forget that in the wilderness, the Lord provides everything that his people need. If we'll allow it, as much as it's a season of change, this next season will be one of spiritual refreshment too. The Lord will provide spiritual food, enough for each day, not enough to to store up, we have to keep coming back, but enough for each day. He'll grow our love for Jesus, taking us into the depth and richness of the scriptures. And he'll provide oases and fountains to give us spiritual refreshment and places of rest. Now, you're asking, how do I know all of this? Well, the answer is I don't. For the past several minutes, what I've been doing is quoting to you the words of all the different members of our pastoral team. As we've prayed and asked the Lord what he's doing among us and what he intends to do among us, Those are the things that we've heard him say. And there's so much more that I wish I had time to tell you about the mission and ministry plan that 
we'd intended to talk about with you over those prayer meetings. Do you remember the prayer meetings on the, the bookmark over 2020? Do you know only one element of that whole plan that was agreed by the pastoral team and the church leadership team back in uh, 2019, only one element hasn't happened yet, despite the unimaginable disruption caused by the pandemic. Isn't that absolutely extraordinary? Or about Liberia. Now, with Bob's retirement, who knew what would, have, what would become of the work that he'd been leading in Liberia? And yet what has happened is that the Lord has brought about reconciliation between Canadian Baptist ministries and the churches and ministries in Liberia that haven't worked together for decades. So that Canadian Baptist ministries is actually beginning a new work in that country. You, you have to ask Felipe about that. Again, it's the Lord doing something absolutely amazing. Well, I wish I had time to tell you more. But what do you need to know? You need to know that your concerns for the future of the church are shared. And your doubts and fears about COVID are understood. You need to know that the Lord has directed our path and spoken to the pastors, church leaders, and others about the way forward. There is a plan that's allowing us to navigate through these very turbulent times. You need to know that, as with the people of God uh, during the Exodus, we don't know what it'll look like when we get to our new settled home. While we do know that it'll be very different, the Lord we follow doesn't change. His love, his word, his spirit will still comfort and guide and direct us. And perhaps most of all, you need to know that the Lord's promises, the Lord's purposes, the Lord's will in all of this is for the good of the church and for the increase of his kingdom. Will you pray with me? Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Lord, that's what we asked you at the beginning of this service as we sang our first song, that you would enable us to understand your plans for us, that you would enable us to fulfill your purposes. And that's what we ask again now. Help us, Lord, to count the cost. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Amen. 
You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.